for our question time series. We're looking forward to this series. We're going to be doing basically one question a week from the Bible. Today's going to be a little different. We're going to be dealing with a lot more than just one question. Uh, this is an introductory message just to give us a feel for the series. And so each week we're going to be dealing with different questions from the Bible. There's many I'm sure that you can think of. Can anybody tell me maybe a favorite question that's asked in the Bible? Uh, my favorite would be probably Acts 16, whenever the Philippian jailer asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, there's questions like that. Anybody else have a favorite question this afternoon? Everybody's too shy. It's like we can't speak in church. Any, any questions anybody has that they like? Yeah, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's awesome. Great question. One more, and then we'll carry on. Anybody else? There's many, many great questions. Hopefully by the end of the series, you'll come to see some of these questions as well. And I encourage you each week, write them down. I've taken the time, even just before the series, and there's probably going to be over 30, 31 questions that we're going to be dealing with week after week. And today we're coming to the first one of those. And as we think about life, life questions are just a part of life. It's, we all ask questions. We're all on the receiving end of questions. Uh, many people devote their whole life to, to seek out the answers to some of the toughest questions that this world has to offer. People have a life quest in answering the question, is there a cure for cancer? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the purpose of life? What happens when I die? And people go on quests to try and figure out answers to some of the biggest questions that this world has to ask. Uh, I looked online and researched regarding questions, and who would you say, any ideas as to who or what group of people gets asked the most questions in our world today? Who do you think gets asked the most questions? Politicians? Good, good, good. It's wrong, but it's a good, I like your thinking. Catholics? No. Which? What did you say? Athletes, not Catholics. Okay. <laughs> Catholics and athletes, both are wrong. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> I don't know why I thought you heard Catholic. Brother Salam? Religious leaders. The biggest group that gets asked the most questions is mothers. Mothers get asked the most questions out of any group of people. Uh, the most questions that are asked is by four-year-old girls. They ask an average of one, a question every one minute and 59 seconds. And so every two minutes of a mother's day that has a four-year-old girl... They're getting asked a question by their daughter. Over dinner time, the average child will ask 11 questions over the dinner table. And so we see that mothers have a high responsibility. Studies show that 82% of infants apparently go to their mother rather than their father if they have a query. A quarter of the children say they go to the mother first because if they have a question, the dad will just say, see your mom. Uh, that's what studies would show. And so mothers field the most questions. They get asked more questions than any other person. Teachers are a close second. They get 19 questions every hour. And doctors and nurses get asked 18 questions every hour. So you get an idea of there, there's a lot of questions that are asked in this world, whether by you or to you or to other people. And, and mothers come out on top. They answer an average of 300 questions a day. And uh, I've got a list of the top five questions that were asked to mothers. The top five, they say these are the most difficult questions that we've been asked by our children. They did a poll and a survey, and the top most difficult question that a mother was asked by her child, 35% of mothers said the hardest question was, why is water wet? Why is water wet? Try answering that to a kid that doesn't even understand probably what water is. And then the second question was, where does the sky end? That's a pretty good question. 
We have number three, which is what are shadows made of? I thought that was a good one. I still, I don't know that either, so I'm still, I'm going to ask my mom after this service and see if she's got the answer. Why is the sky blue? That's another question. And number five was how do fish breathe underwater? And so those are the top five questions that mothers were asked. And so it's safe to say today, questions are just part of life. Growing up as a kid, you ask loads of questions. As you get older, it proves in studies that nine-year-old boys are the ones that ask the least questions out of every kid. They think that they know it all. And as we grow up, I think on average, we probably ask a lot less questions now than what we did when we were kids. And so the average person in an average day asks around 30 questions a day. So in your average day, you're going to ask 30 questions in a day. And here's, here's a question for you, and you can give me your, your, your answer or your advice. Why do people ask questions? Why do people ask questions? They want to learn something? Curiosity? They want an answer, don't they? They want, to, they want to learn something. They want to find out an answer. They want to know more and grow in their knowledge. Questions are a big part of life. And as we come to the Bible, there's many questions that are asked in the Bible. There's many questions that are asked by various different people. And in this series, you're going to be taking one question a week and looking at some of these questions. Here's another question for you. Who in the Bible asks the most questions? Who in the Bible asks the most questions? God. God asks the most questions. The apostles, I think the reason why is because obviously God is in every single book of the Bible. He asks many different questions throughout its span. God is the biggest question asker in all of the Bible. And here's another question. Why does God ask questions? We said the reason why we ask questions is so we can learn. So, because we want an answer, because we want to increase in knowledge. Whenever it comes to God, we find it quite ironic because if there's anybody that doesn't need to increase in knowledge, it's God. He knows it all, and he sees it all, and he's, he's not going to increase in knowledge. He's the omniscient one. And so the question begs to be asked is, why does God ask questions? Why does he ask questions? And the reason why God asks questions is to make us think. And so anytime we come to the Bible and we see God is asking a question, it ought to be something that puts a question mark in our mind or an exclamation mark in our mind to say, God is going to try and teach me something here. God's asking this question not because he wants to know the answer. Like in the Garden of Eden, he asked Adam, where art thou? It wasn't because God didn't have a clue where Adam was. He's trying to teach them something. And all throughout the Bible, we see great questions asked by God. And he's not asking these questions because he wants to know the answer. Or he's not asking these questions because he doesn't know it. He's asking because he wants us to think about the question. Oftentimes, God will ask rhetorical questions that are there to challenge us and to cause us to think or change inside of the question. He asks us these questions to make us think. The great uh, famous philosopher by the name of Socrates, about 400 BC, he was around. He used that very same teaching technique. Rather than merely giving his pupils the answer to a particular problem, Socrates would ask them questions that would force them to analyze the situation, find the answer for themselves, which in turn would help them to study the topic more thoroughly. And so it's been a, it's been a teaching tool all along for generations. Is many teachers, they ask questions of their students to get them to think about something so they can more thoroughly know more about that topic. And with God, it's no different. God is the greatest teacher of all. And God comes to us in Scripture, the biggest question asker, the one who asks the most questions, and he comes to us and asks us these questions to get us to think about things. And so we come today to the, the book of Job. The book of Job, and I want you to look at chapter number 38. 
And we're going to see in Job chapter 38 that this is the biggest list of questions that you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. God is going to ask Job question after question after question after question. And he peppers him with questions, many of which are rhetorical. And they aren't questions to which God is looking for an answer. We've already talked about that. He's simply wanting to make a point to Job. And so as we begin this series, we're going to start off with not just one question, but we're going to start off with a series of questions that God asked Job. And so I want to pray just quickly, and then we're going to look into Job chapter 38 and preach a message entitled, Questions from God. Let's pray quickly, and then we'll get stuck in. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this short time we got together this afternoon, Lord. I pray as we enter into your word and we see many questions that you pose to your servant, Job, Lord, may we take away the truths that ought to be learned and need to be learned from this text, and may we apply them to our heart and to our lives. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we come to Job chapter 38, the biggest list of questions in the Bible. And like we said, the biggest question asker is God. And as we come to Job 38, God is going to ask Job a number of questions. And so we're going to read it in just a moment. And what I want you to do, I want you to tell me how many questions God asked Job. So you can't fall asleep this afternoon. If you have a pen handy or you can just count as you go along, every time you see a question mark in the text, I want you to make a mental note of that and we'll see can we come to the same number once we finish Job chapter 38. The context of the book of Job is this. Job is obviously, he's being tried, he's being tested, he's going through extreme suffering. He, he has great loss at the start of the book. He loses a lot of what he has, his family, his health his wealth, his possessions. And for the best part, Job is a great servant of God. He's a very humble man. But as we come to Job 38, the context and the background of Job 38 is that Job is starting to get a little full of himself by Job 38. He begins to become a little prideful. His attitude is a little wrong. He begins to think of himself a little too highly, and he begins to diminish God and begins to question what he does and begins to ask God, why are you doing these things? And he begins to diminish the character and the nature of God. And so God really takes the time in Job 38 and 39 and asks him all of these questions to deal with this problem that's starting to develop in Job's character. Job has got to the stage by chapter 38 where he's beginning to magnify himself and minimize his view of God. He sees himself as a little bigger than he should and God as a little smaller than he should. And so God takes the time and asks these questions to, to, to make Job think about this pride problem, to readdress this issue of he's starting to think of God a little too low and think of himself a little too high. And so God takes the time with all of these questions, and the main purpose of these questions from God is to deal with Job's pride. All of the questions Job's asked are rhetorical. rhetorical. All of them address the greatness of God, how big he is, how mighty he is. And by the time it comes to the end of question time with God, Job gets to the stage where he's like, I got it all wrong. God is massive. I am small. I got it totally the wrong way around. And his pride is broken. But we're going to take the journey with Job as God uh, interrogates, you could say, Job with these rhetorical questions. And so we're going to take the time, read chapter number 38. We don't often do this, but we're going to read the whole chapter. It'll take a little bit of time. But as we go along, I want you to either take a pen or make a mental note of every time a question mark occurs in the text, and we'll see how many questions God asks Job in a row in verse number 38, in chapter number 38. It says this, verse number 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? 
Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thy me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, and who is, the, who is laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who has shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as, it, as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break, for, break, break up for it my decreed place, and set the bars and doors. And said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but further, and there shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take it to the bound, bound thereof, and that thou shouldest know the path, paths to the house thereof. There, knowest thou it, because thou was then born, or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hill, which I have reserved against the day of trouble, against the time of battle and war? By what way is the light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? And who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of waters, or a way for the lightning of thunder, to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is, or on the wilderness wherein there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth? Hath the rain a father, or who hath begotten the drops of dew, or out of whose womb came the ice, and the hoary frost of heaven, who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades, and loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Maseroth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Knowest thou the ordinances of heaven? Canst thou set the dominion thereof in the earth? Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds, and the abundance of waters may cover thee? Canst thou send lightnings that they may go, and say unto thee, Here are we, here we are. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom, or who can stay the bottles of heaven? When the dust groweth into the hardness, and the clods cleave fast together, wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion, or fill the appetite of the young lions? When they couch in the dens, and abide in the covert to lie in wait, who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat." That's a lot of scripture and a lot of questions there that we could cover. There's maybe a lot you didn't understand there. That's okay. But the question that we asked was, how many questions has God asked Job? How many times do we find question marks present in Job 38? Anybody got a figure of how many question marks there were? 32? Anybody else? 37? 42? Anybody else? 40? The right answer is 40. And, and it's not an exact science because some of them are even questions within questions. He asked, for instance, uh, canst thou bind the sweet influences of uh, Pleiades and list the bands of Orion? One question mark, but there's two questions within that. So there's over 40 questions 
that God asked Job. He just rattles them off one after the other and says, Job, do you know this? Job, do you know that? Job, were you there when I formed the earth? Job, can you hold the heavens together? Job, can you search the depths of the sea? Job, do you know the, the width of the world? Do you know all of this, Job? Job, surely, I mean, your days are great. You were there when it happened, weren't you? And at some point, you almost get the sense that God starts to get sarcastic with Job. He begins to say, surely declare it all if thou knowest. I mean, you know it all, Job. You think of yourself so highly. Surely you know the answer to these questions. But God asks him and peppers Job with 40 questions. And we've just read chapter 38. I encourage you to go home. Chapter 39, 40, 41, and 42. The questions continue. You think, man, that's 40 long. That's a long list of questions. But that's just the beginning. So Job's asked over 40 questions in chapter 38. It goes on in chapter 39. God asks him another 20 questions. In chapter 40, he asks him another five. And in chapter 41, he asks him another 20. And so you come to a grand total of questions from God to Job of roughly 85 plus questions. 85 questions God asks Job, and all of them are with a purpose to deal with this pride problem. Job, do you really think you're that big now? Do you really see how great I am? And so God is dealing with this uh, pride issue in the life of Job. And we're not going to take the time to read all of those chapters. Like I say, I encourage you to go back and read them. In chapter 38 and 39, there's a total of 60 questions that's asked before God finally takes a breath and lets Job respond. So God asks him 60 questions in those chapters. He asks him one quick question at the, chapter 40, the start of chapter 40, and then he gives Job a chance to respond. So 61 questions have been asked by Job chapter 40, verse number 3, and Job's given a chance to respond. Can I ask you, you're standing there, you're being interviewed by God, God's asked you 61 questions to prove his greatness. How would you respond to that? If God asked you, where were you when I made the world? Do you know everything about it? Do you know how to order it? Do you know how to keep it? Do you feed the ravens? Do you know how to uh, hold the constellations in the sky together? Do you know all the stars, the width of our universe? He asks all these questions to which Job knows none of the answers. And then he gives him a chance to respond. Look at chapter 40 and verse number 3 to 5. And I think Job's response would be quite similar to probably how we would respond. Job responds in chapter 40 and verse number 3, and he says this. "Then, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will, not rem- I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job's given a stark reminder of the greatness of God, and all he can respond with is by saying, I am vile, I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Let's put this into modern-day English. Whenever we think of the word vile, we think of disgusting or horrible or milk that's been left out for seven days in the counter. We think of vile that way, but that word vile doesn't mean that. That word vile literally means to be slight or of little account. So what Job's saying at the end of all of that, 61 questions that he says, I am vile, what he's literally saying is, God, I'm a nobody. I'm nobody. I'm of little account. I've seen your greatness. I've seen all the questions you've asked. I've got a good glimpse into the greatness of God. And compared to God, I'm vile. I am absolutely nobody. Here was I starting to think that I was somebody. I was starting to get prideful and even starting to instruct you, God, as to how to order the earth. But truly, I'm nobody compared to you. All of a sudden, Job becomes humble. He says, I'm nobody compared to you, God. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Modern day English, I'm going to shut up now. 
I'm going to keep quiet. I'm not going to talk anymore. Clearly, you know far too. You must know everything, God, and I know nothing compared to you. And so he says, I will lay my hand upon my mouth. I'm done. I'm going to stop trying to instruct you. And so we see that Job gets to the place where he's humbled in the eyes of God. Can I say, for us as Christians, it can be easy for us at times to let pride sneak into our life. To where we start to think of ourselves a little higher than we should. We grow in our faith. We mature. And as we grow and mature, we start to think, man, I've arrived. I'm learning more. I'm getting more. I can start basically getting prideful in my own knowledge. I can start telling God how to do things. We would never be as bold as to say it. But oftentimes, that's the way that we work. As we grow and mature, if we're not careful to temper it with humility, pride can creep into our life. And you know what pride is? Pride's just simply a big I problem. What's the middle ladder in the word pride? I. What's the middle ladder in the word sin? I. Whenever it comes to a pride problem, you know who the problem is? It's not anybody else. It's not God. I'm the problem whenever I get prideful in the way that I approach life. I begin to think of myself too highly. I begin to think of myself as greater than I should. And the Bible makes it clear. God makes it crystal clear as to what he thinks of prideful people. He says, I resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. It says he resists us. It's almost like a stiff arm to those that are prideful. It's like, you're not getting any closer to me in that prideful condition. And in Job 38 and 39, it's like a big handoff, if you will, to the face of Job, where he says, Job, while you're in your condition, while you've got this pride thing going on, until that's broken, I'm resisting you. It's no, you can't come any closer. I mean, we're going to have to deal with this pride problem before we can have a close relationship. And so God quickly and swiftly and strongly begins to deal with the pride that's in Job's life. And how do we deal with pride? Like we said, pride is an eye problem. Pride's problem is whenever it's a big eye and a little God. And then humility is big God and little eye. That's, that's the difference between the two. And so if we're going to address pride, we need to change the way that we view ourselves in comparison to God. Whenever we want to change pride to humility, we need to exalt God in our minds and lessen how we view ourselves. And realize, like Job, that we are nobodies compared to God. And yet the great truth of the Bible is that although we're nobodies compared to Him, whenever we humble ourselves, we become somebody in His eyes. That he's a God that loves us, he cares for us, he cherishes us, he wants to know us and have a deep relationship with us. And that only happens whenever we become nobodies. Whenever we realize God is great and I am nobody, but yet in my nobodiness, if you will, I become somebody to God. I've humbled myself and I receive his grace. And so God takes the time in Job 38 and 39 to ask him 60 questions, to give him fresh perspective on just how awesome God is. And so if you ever get to a stage where you start to think, man, is God really that great? Take some time and read Job 38 and 39. Here's some of the questions. I don't have the time to go through all 60, but I'm just going to list off some of the, I guess you could call them the funnier ones, or the ones that really strike closest to home and that that Job has absolutely no answer for. God asked Job, he says, where were you when I made the foundations of the world? Surely, Job, you, you know it all. I mean, you've you got to be hiding somewhere when I made this universe. Job has no answer. You go on down and you see, he asks him, did you design the world and how big it was going to be? Did you command the sun to rise every morning? Anybody in here control when the sun rises? Anybody decide, man, I don't want to go to bed, so I'm just going to cause the sun to come up two hours later? We don't have power to do that. It's not in our power to, 
to, to, to manage the days that the sun comes and goes and the darkness comes and goes. That's God that controls all of that. You go on and it says, do you know the depths of the seas? Well, nowadays we've got so much different technology. We, we have a good idea of the answer to some of those questions now. But back when Job was, they didn't have like sonar rays and he couldn't tell God the depths of the ocean. He didn't have an answer for God. You go on ahead and you see many other questions. Where does darkness and light come from? Did you cause the rain to fall on the earth where no man is? You go down and it says, do you hold the constellations together? Do you map out the heavens? Do you cause lightning to come and go? Do you provide food for the ravens? Did you give wings to the ostriches? Did you cause the hawk to fly by your wisdom? Did you give feathers and wings to the ostrich? Does the eagle mount up at your command? And then he asked him at the end, Job, do you really want to instruct me? And he asked him all of these questions and, and Job is humbled by the end of it. We see that he says, I am vile, I am nobody, and he has a pr- fresh perspective on just how great God is. And you think after all that, Job 38 and 39, he's, out, he's been asked 60 plus questions, and you think, man, he's humbled, he's broken, God's dealt with him. You go on to chapter 40 and 41, and God's not finished yet. God carries on in chapter 40 and 41 and asks him a further 25 questions, and, and then finally question time's over. 85 questions in total, and God is finally finished with dealing with Job and dealing with his pride issue. Job gets to the stage finally where he sees that God is a God that knows all, that sees all, that sustains all, that provides for all, that made all. And God shares with Job in these questions, he shares his power in creation, his provision in creation, his preservation of creation. And he simply asks Job, Job, do you know all of this? Did you do all of this? Do you control all of this? Do you run the universe? Do you see it all? Do you make it all and sustain it all? And Job has no answer because all of that is of God. Can I say at this point, this world didn't just come about by chance. It wasn't just a big bang or explosion. It was intricately designed. And that's the very heart of the issue that God's dealing with with Job. Is just saying, Job, do you know who I am? I'm the maker. I'm the sustainer. I know all and I see all. And so we come to the end. If you turn to Job chapter 42, And verse number 1 to 6, we see that Job is given a second chance to respond. The first time he says, I am vile, I'm a nobody. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm going to zip it now. And we see that he finally has one last chance to respond. Job 42, and verse number 1 to 6. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thy unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. He says, God, I recognize that you know it all. God, I recognize that you're the creator, you're the sustainer, you know absolutely everything, and who am I that I try to instruct you? And he finishes off and says, look, I abhor myself, I can't stand the way I was, I can't stand my pride, and he says, finally, I repent in dust and ashes, and repent simply means just to change the way that we think, to change our mind and to agree with God, and Job says, look, I'm changing my mind, before I wasn't thinking of you highly enough, and I'm going to change that. And before I thought of myself too highly, and it's time that changed. And Job gets to the stage where it's a big G God and a little I me, and he finally gets his pride issue 
under wraps. And we see that pride is replaced by humility. And Job, by all extents and purposes, he was a godly man, but yet pride started to creep in and God took the time to help him produce humility in the life of Job. We find that Job's pride was battered and beaten and ultimately bashed out of him. By the end of the book, we find a man with a humble heart before God. And like we said earlier, God resists the pride, but what does he give to the humble? He exalts them. He gives them grace, doesn't he? It says that he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And Job is now humbled in his sight. And whenever he resisted him when he was proud, but now we see that he gives grace to humble Job. You look at verse number 12 and 13. You come to the very end of the book. You think of all Job's lost, all that he's went through. But now he's totally humble in the eyes of God. And you look at verse number 12. It says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And you see that by the end of the book, Job has much more than even whatever he started with. Yes, he lost a lot, but now he's in an even better position than whenever he first started. We see that God rains out grace upon the life of Job. May we, friends, guard our hearts and guard our lives from pride. Pride is that thing that we see it quickly in others, but we find it hard to see it in ourselves. We need to come to God and ask God, look, search me, know me, try me, and see if there's any pride in me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, test me. I I don't want to be prideful. I want to be humble. I don't want to be resisted by you. I want to receive your grace. And we, like Job, need to ensure that we're humble in the eyes of God. And if we're going to do that, how how, how can we produce humility in our lives? By seeing God as he truly is and seeing ourselves as we really are. Seeing God for all the majesty and greatness and bigness that he is, and seeing ourselves as nobody compared to him. And like I said, it's whenever we become nobodies that we're somebody to him. Although we're nothing compared to Almighty God, he loves us, he cherishes us, and desires a deep relationship with us. We learn from all of these questions many different things. We learn that God is in total control. God is all-knowing. He's all-sustaining. He's all-powerful. All we see all of this in the character of God, and, and we say, well, that's great, but can I say we need to make that more specific? He's all of that to you as well. Yes, he's all of that in the universe, but he's all that to you. He's all-powerful on your behalf. He's all-knowing. He knows everything that you're going through. You say, does God see my circumstance? Yes, he does. He sees who you are. He sees what you're facing. He sees your circumstance, and he's powerful enough to act if we'll but let him and if we'll humble ourselves in his sight. As we look at these facts and what Job came across with these questions, it ought to do two things for us. It ought to, first of all, convict us. We ought to be convicted that a lot of